I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. That's a a statement that Jesus made. It's kind of an odd statement that Jesus made right in the middle of a temple, kind of like this, where a bunch of people are gathered around listening to him. But let's face it, that's a pretty odd statement, isn't it? That I am the light of the world. But how many of you know that context matters? Sometimes context can tell us what Jesus is actually trying to say, can it? See, if I tell you, hey, um, just last weekend I drove 300 yards and ended up in the water. You might think back to all the rain that we've had in the last week and think, Heath's truck is ruined. (laughs) Or I could tell you, well, no, actually I was on the golf course and I smashed it really 300 yards and then I ended up in a pond. It matters, doesn't it? So tonight, as we kind of kick off here, and, and as we begin to, to turn the lights back on, I want to I give you some context into a, an, an odd statement that Jesus himself made whenever he said, I am the light of the world. So, as we go there, we're going to go to John chapter 8. <clears throat> And I'm going to ask somebody to come up here and take care of this raging flame in front of me. <clears throat> but I want to give you, ready? Let's try to blow it out. Count of three. One, two, three. <gasps> yeah! <laughs> Altitude. See, when, when Jesus makes this statement, I am the light of the world, he is actually making that statement in, in the temple courts in the middle of this huge festival called the Festival of Booths. And the Festival of Booths was actually a celebration of the Jews where they remembered what God did for them whenever they were, were in Egyptian bondage and slavery and God brought them out of Egyptian bondage and slavery. He led them into a desert for 40 years where they literally lived in tents or in booths. And as God led them through the desert, the way he did it was a big pillar of fire by night and a cloud by the day. It's like God was the first GPS, right? And he's like, hey, just follow the cloud and you'll get to your destination. Follow the pillar of fire and I promise you I will take you where you need to go. And so God in his, in his GPS form leads them through the desert into the promised land. And so to remember this time, the Jews would set up in the temple courts these huge 75-foot tall candles, and they would have these huge like 10-gallon drums. This fire is nothing compared to what happens when you light a 10-gallon drum of oil, right? And there'd be four of them on top of these big 75-foot candlesticks. They'd throw them up, and the temple walls were made out of white limestone. And so all night, these candles would burn, and you would see the light just reflecting off of the temple walls for miles. And it was their way of commemorating how God led them through the desert for 40 years. Jesus is standing in the middle of this temple court, is he makes the declaration, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. And as he's sitting there in this temple courts, okay, what actually happens right before this, just to give you a little more context, these religious men bust in and, and 
Man, they bring this woman into the crowd. They throw her at the feet of Jesus. And this is where we're going to pick up in John chapter 8, verse 4. They throw this woman at the feet of Jesus and they say this, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bends down and wrote with his finger on the ground. It's kind of a weird move, right? Never seen that before. Um, And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And and once more he bent down and he began to write on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. Then Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. So they bring this woman to Jesus, and to give you some background, for this woman to be caught in the act of adultery and and to be stoned to death, you had to have a witness, a legal witness, kind of like what we do in today's courts. They said, hey, somebody needed to witness this, but here's the really creepy thing. She's caught in the act, which means you had some peeping Tom watching her have sex with some other dude. Here's something even creepier. It wasn't just one witness that was needed, it was two. So there wasn't just one super creepy witness guy, there was two of them, right? And and these are the guys who bring this woman in, and for them to say she is worthy of being stoned to death, they both had to witness the act. You. (laughs) It's gross. But see, here's what else you may not know. Just like we have a responsibility to each other today, These men had a responsibility in their day. See, today, we don't just run around like peeping toms trying to find who we can tattle on, right? But it is our responsibility to hold, to keep our brothers and sisters from falling into sin. And so if we find a brother or sister in sin, we do everything that we can to help them out of that sin. These men weren't interested in that. They were more interested in making this woman look bad so they could look good. And they bring this woman in, they throw her in front of the crowd with everybody. She's caught in the act. We don't even know if she had time to get dressed. They bring her in, they throw her down, all to make themselves look good. They're full of pride. These prideful religious men. You know what pride is? I'll give you a definition. Pride is hating someone for a sin you're not currently struggling with. Currently. See, here's what I know. Most of your generation doesn't go to church. And I hear the stories all the time, stories kind of like the one that we're reading right now where maybe you walked into a church and you, you were intercepted by some religious fool who like had a lot of pride in his heart and instead of loving you with the love of Christ, he was more interested in condemning you. He was more interested in making sure he looked good in the situation. I heard a stat earlier this week that broke my heart. Did you know that if a girl is associated with a church and she gets pregnant before marriage, she is 85% more likely to have an abortion than a girl who is not associated with a church? And, and what I know is that if you drive from here to Abilene tonight, what you'll see on the side of the road are these signs with blood, red letters, abortion kills. And I just want to walk up to that dude and say, you're the reason she thought she had to do it. The religious tone 
in that sign is the reason she thought she needed to hide her sin rather than come to a place that might accept her, help her, love her with the love of Christ? Listen, if you're in here tonight, you got to know that Kyalpha is, is, we're kind of built the exact opposite. Like this is, this is not a museum for the holy. This is a hospital for the sick. Because what Jesus said is that he came for the lost, for the sinner who was in need of God's grace. Well, I think we ought to be here for the same person, don't you? Maybe you're like me and you've got a past. Hey, welcome home. You're welcome here. These religious men in this story, they they catch this woman in the act. They drug her out into public, throw her down in front of everyone, all to make themselves look good. And it pisses Jesus off. Like, now, okay, this is where I need to admit. This is one of my favorite Bible stories, which sounds really demented, but it's not. Okay, give me a minute. Because, because if you're like me and you grew up in the South in the Bible Belt, you probably saw a picture that looks a little bit like this of Jesus. Picture of Jesus? Yeah, got it. Right? This is like hanging on your grandmother's wall. And, and it's, yeah. See, it, and here's the thing. Like, this is like, Blonde-haired, blue-eyed, European Jesus. It's, it's really just some artist's rendition from like the 40s, okay? It, the head of Jesus is the name of the painting, right? But it hangs all over the place. And we look at this and we go, yeah, Jesus was really gentle. And, you know, like he's really nice and, and, and European. And Jesus wasn't European, y'all. Like this Jesus always whispers, I am the light of the world. He without sin casts the first stone. This is like akin to the Jesus that Ricky Bobby prays to. Eight pounds, six ounce baby. It's it's just not biblical, right? Like it doesn't line up with the narrative. It doesn't line up with the story. Because the way I read it, full grown man Jesus gets pissed off. And takes a stand for righteousness. See... When I read this story, I think of this. Like, these men bring this lady to Jesus. They've all got rocks in their hand. They're they're literally ready to throw rocks at this woman and kill her. Their prideful hearts are built up. And they come and they throw this woman before Jesus and they say, Hey, Jesus, what do you say? And I just picture Jesus like with a fire in his eyes, like pacing around like, Oh, I wish somebody would throw a rock. Oh, oh. Come on, you first? You? Huh? Oh, okay, all right. And it, but he's, he's Jesus. He doesn't pick a fight, right? He's not me. And so he just bends down, and he starts writing something in the dirt, right? And historians are like, what's, you know, what is he writing? Well, he's writing something from Deuteronomy. He's writing something from the, you know, the Old Testament laws. No, listen, full-grown man Jesus took the oldest man in the crowd and started writing his girlfriend's name in the dirt, saying, Gertrude, that's you. And he leaves. And then he looks at the next one, he goes, Stacy. And he looks at that and he goes, yep, that's her name, I'm out. All right, <laughs> one by one. And then the next guy's like, mm-hmm. yep, that's my, here, Jesus, hey, by the way, this wasn't even my rock, Jesus. I, I was carrying that for Nestor. Um, that <laughs> 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 Here's the truth. I just can't believe that nice, gentle, whispering European Jesus stood between an angry mob ready to kill a woman 
with rocks in their hands and between her and them. And he stood there and somehow, without saying a word, without throwing a punch, without getting physical in any way, every single one of them leaves. I think there was a fire in his eyes, a determination towards righteousness that you don't see in this picture. You ever met somebody like that? Somebody, when you looked them in the eye, you just said, there's something about them I'm not going to mess with right now. (laughs) How do you see the Son of God in your life? Is he European Jesus? Or is he full-grown man Jesus? I serve full-grown man Jesus. This moment, this painful moment of religion surrounded by religious men who were more concerned with their religion than they were this woman's soul, full-grown Jesus flips the script. See, those religious men brought this woman before a religious crowd, but instead of finding religion, this woman found a relationship with her creator. In fact, John 8, 10, and 11, Jesus stood her up and said to her, Woman, where'd they go? Where are the ones that condemned you? Haven't any condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Then after all of those religious, prideful men left, Jesus went back to teaching the crowds, and he declares, I am the light of the world. Those who follow me will never walk in darkness. See, religion will always be about what you can do for God. Relationship with Jesus is about what God has done for us. And in this moment, Jesus took away every false idea about what it means to serve God. Because the only true narrative is the one where Jesus comes from heaven to earth, where Jesus paid for your sin, Jesus rose again on the third day, and because of that, Jesus offers salvation. None of that narrative is about you, and none of that narrative is about me. It's always been about Jesus. So if we follow Jesus, then we'll know the true way to be saved, to serve God, to get to heaven, and to live in right relationship with our Heavenly Father. Jesus is the one who shed light on that for us. And maybe for some of you, that clears up some aspects of Christianity that you haven't quite understood before. See, this passage shows us what true religion is supposed to look like. Religion wasn't meant to be bad. Religion was meant to point people to a relationship with Jesus. These men were just abusing it. True religion, there's no condemnation, there's love, there's acceptance, forgiveness, there's protection, there's identity, there's, there's new life based on the life of Christ. It's always been about Jesus. So here's what I want to do tonight. I want to look real quick at how we should respond to this statement of Jesus where Jesus declares that he is the light of the world. So real quick, three points. Number one, we, got to we have to acknowledge the darkness. If Jesus is light, there's got to be something else. There's got to be something to light up. We would call that darkness. And just a minute ago, while you were walking around in here, you know, doing your thing, shaking hands with a bunch of people, you know, trying to catch the eye of the cute girl across the room, you know, suddenly we turned out the lights, and you became acutely aware of the darkness. Something changed. Something flipped. And all of a sudden, you were acutely aware of the darkness. 
Most of you stopped what you were doing because it caught your attention. Now, if you ignored the darkness and you kept on walking, right, you kept on doing your thing, what are you going to do? You're probably going to trip and fall and, you know, bloody your nose or chip your tooth on a pew or, you know, something like that. And some of you guys are like, I don't need to chip another tooth. I already did that. It wasn't fun, right? It just wouldn't be pretty. Ignoring the darkness isn't wise, is it? I would say the same thing applies to each of us spiritually. Jesus is the light. We got to acknowledge the darkness. And Jesus, in this story with this woman, he acknowledges this woman's darkness and he calls this woman's action sin. It's not a very popular word these days, but sin is living outside of God's standards for your life. He doesn't ignore the darkness in her life because that would be foolish. And Jesus has never been foolish. See, unlike this woman, most of us walk around with darkness in our life that nobody else sees. Hers was brought out into the light. Everybody knew about it. For most of us, our darkness is hidden. It's secret. And the thing is, like, we actually think that we can keep it hidden. So, like, have you ever heard, like, somebody pray or have you ever prayed the prayer, like, God, forgive us of our sins? God's like, which one? Just all of them? And God's like, no, seriously, which one? What are, we, what are we talking about? See, I have two baby girls, right? Okay, and, and so when my baby girls are getting into trouble, okay, I've taught them to say I'm sorry, especially concerning sin. I've taught them to say I'm sorry, right? But it's not like sorry, you know. It's, it's, no, I make them stop and acknowledge what they're sorry for. I, you can't ignore the darkness. You, you, have to, you have to approach that darkness with truth and responsibility, Right? Otherwise, I would feel like I'm not being a good dad. I think our Heavenly Father kind of feels the same way. What I've figured out is that in my life, when God begins to address the darkness, He makes me address it head on until I lay that sin at the feet of Jesus and let Jesus take care of it. He never ignores it because God's not foolish. He doesn't let me. Sometimes we pray and we think, well, if I don't say it, maybe God doesn't know. (laughs) It's not the case, right? You ever walked like from a dark or from like a bright hallway into a dark movie theater and you kind of had to stop and let your eyes adjust for a minute to get used to the darkness? The problem with the darkness is that a lot of us live in that forever. We've stepped into this realm of walking in darkness and we've just kind of adjusted to the dark and we've begun to think that that's normal. We've... We've kind of justified our sin. We've called it something else. But, but listen, I can, you can take a jug of bleach, you can put it in the fridge and call it juice. It's still going to kill you. Right? So does your secret sin. I don't care what you call it. I don't care how you justify it. It's still deadly. And God knows that. That's why he's not willing to, to allow you to just keep walking in the way that you're walking. There are th- steps that we need to take in following Jesus. So we acknowledge the dark. We get truthful about it. Then number two, we fall in love with the light. Fall in love with the light. Did you know in scientific terms there's actually no measure for darkness? Like you can't add darkness to this room to make it darker, right? You can't add darkness to an environment and and fill a room with darkness. You can't add darkness to your bedroom to make it easier to sleep at night. You can't remove darkness from your room in the morning so that you can see. But you can add light, right? You guys understand what I'm talking about? For some of you, 
You've been trying real hard to get rid of the darkness, but that never works. The way you do that is to add light. It works like this. See, if, if, I've got a, if I've got a broken part on my car, it doesn't help me to just remove the part because then my car is just still broken, right? I have to put something else back in. I have to put something new, something better back into its place. That's Jesus. We remove the darkness in our life, but we, we, we inject Jesus into that area of our life. That's how we overcome the darkness in our life. For us, we replace the brokenness with Jesus. We replace the the darkness with light. Jesus is the light of the world, and Jesus wants to bring that light into your personal life. See, when we fall in love with the light, when Jesus becomes that thing that we want more than anything else, we actually find it easy to live according to the light. We find it easy to, to, to live by God's standards. John 14, 15 says this, If you love me, keep my commandments. And, and for most of you, you've probably read that verse for a very long time um, a little bit wrong. You, you read it as though, like you thought that you needed to keep his commandments to prove that you love God. But, but let, me, let me explain the verse a different way. Um, let me show you a picture of my family. Uh, this is my wonderful, beautiful family. God's given me a beautiful wife and two beautiful baby girls, and man, they are like, they are everything to me, okay? Like, I love them, love them, love them. And, and my wife, um, how many of you guys know that whenever you get married, you get things like furniture, <laughs> right? And, and so my wife, like, in our kitchen, she decides to buy these, like, fancy decorative trash cans with lids that like you step on it and the lid goes you know and then it's like hydraulic down it's like really smooth and keeps all the stink in the trash can you know but here's the problem it's it's kind of small right because like you know it it fills up fast here's what i know tonight after i'm done preaching it's gonna be a long night it's been a long day for me i'm gonna be tired i'm gonna walk into my kitchen and i'm gonna see a full trash can full of trash and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pick up that trash. I'm going to take it out to the street and put it in a dumpster. I'm going to put a new bag inside of that trash can. Now, do I do that to prove to my wife that I love her, or do I do that because I love my wife? See, some of you guys have been reading that verse wrong. Because the truth is, like, when I was a bachelor, we had, like, a 55-gallon drum trash can, right? Like, you could fit 10 of my wife's trash cans into our old trash can. And then, like, you know, we hated taking out the trash. So, you know, if it, whenever it filled up, we just moved. You know, it's like, get a new house. I don't know. I, I have this theory. Like, you know, I do chores because I love my wife. Don't get me wrong. But, like, okay. Like, does anybody else, like, hate unloading the dishwasher? Anybody with me on this? I have this theory follow me, okay? So I envision a house and a home one day with no kitchen cabinets, just dishwashers. Do you unload the dishwasher? No need. Got seven more. We're good. It's all good. The dishes just live in the dish. This idea is going to catch on. This is going to catch on. I knew college students would appreciate this. My wife thinks I'm crazy. See, I I don't do chores to prove that I love my family. I love my family, therefore I do chores, right? And when you fall in love with Jesus, following Jesus becomes easy. If you love him, you'll keep his commandments. Jesus said to this woman, go and sin no more. 
She probably thought that command was easy after she encountered the real Jesus. After she fell in love with the light, she thought, I can do that. Some of you need to hear that tonight. So we acknowledge the dark. We fall in love with the light. And when those two things happen, we do this third thing, and it's this, accept salvation. We accept salvation. See, I'm, I'm kind of bringing you through a progression here because I think that the two things that we just mentioned are absolutely necessary before we get to this point. See, to accept salvation, you must recognize there is darkness, there is evil, there is sin in your life. You've got to recognize that there's a Jesus who is way better than all of that stuff. You've got to fall in love with the light of the world that loves you more than you can imagine. When you get to this point, you have this wonderful revelation of who Jesus is, that it becomes easy to accept his salvation. See, when Jesus declared he was the light of the world, he illuminated the way to salvation. Salvation is offered by Jesus to anyone who would choose to love and accept Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. If you've heard, this, heard me preach before, you hear me say this, I'll say it every week. Accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior means this. Jesus as Lord means he's king. He makes the rules. He sets the standards. Accepting Jesus as Savior means you need everything Jesus did to get you into heaven. Nothing you can do is ever going to earn your way into heaven. You need his forgiveness of your sin. You need his death on the cross. He purchased your ticket to get to heaven. And when he did... He purchased and paid for your sins. In fact, he stood on a cross. And he actually, you know, in our English translation, here's what it says. He's on the cross. He is almost dead. In fact, he dies right after he makes a statement. And he says, it is finished. That's a bad way of translating that. Anybody ever seen one of those red stamps that you stamp it and it says paid in full? Yeah, no. I'm, I'm, okay. Sorry. You guys are like glared over. Okay. <clears throat> you have a note, you buy a car, you, you buy something like that, your bank, when you pay that last bit and you officially own the car, the bank doesn't have anything else to do with it, they stamp it and it says paid in full. That's what Jesus said on the cross. I paid for it. It's been paid for. The tab is done. Everything's taken care of. It's finished. That's a more accurate representation of what Jesus said about your sin. See, some of you, you hang on to that sin as though Jesus doesn't intend for you to walk in the light. You've been walking in darkness and you think you still own your sin? You don't. Jesus paid for it. You need to give it to him. Leave that sin behind. We call it repentance. Turning away from the thing that would move us away from God and turning towards Jesus. Repent. Repath. New path. New path for a new creation. Is how the Bible explains it. So this is not religion. This is kind of the opposite of religion. This is a relationship with Jesus where you declare that you believe in Jesus enough to follow Jesus. And so why do I make that statement? Listen, some people will be like, yeah, I believe in Jesus, right? But you're like, I believe in a donut, but I don't have to eat it, right? But, but the truth is, if you believe in Jesus and you actually believe what he said, he said some things you're not allowed to ignore. I am the son of God. I created you. I'm your ticket to heaven. In fact, I'm the way to heaven is what we learned last week. The only way to heaven. You see what I'm saying? Like Jesus said some things we don't get to ignore. So if you believe in Jesus, 
You better pay attention to what he says, right? <clears throat> you got to follow Jesus. See, we live in a Bible belt where everybody knows how to act Christian for a few hours a week, right? Instead of actually becoming a Christian that loves Jesus. That's religion. Religion will always try to get you to act the part before you encounter Jesus. Jesus illuminated a different way. In fact, if you look at how Jesus handled the situation with this woman, he said, I don't condemn you first. And then he said, go and sin no more. So, <clears throat> all right, anybody else in here like Starbucks? I'm just curious, do your ASU points work at Starbucks? Yeah? Dude, they are making tons of money. That's awesome. <clears throat> so, uh, I love Starbucks. <clears throat> I hate coffee. Um, <laughs> so... I like Starbucks because Starbucks makes coffee for people who don't like coffee, right? I can go in there and order a coffee milkshake, and I love it. It tastes like a milkshake, right? And my wife, she's kind of a coffee purist, you know, like all the coffee hippies, right? They're all like, oh, they burn their beans. It's not strong enough, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, whatever. It's really good because they make coffee for people who don't like coffee, right? So I love Starbucks, you know? <clears throat> but here's the thing. I, I think some of you have been to a church that's kind of like Starbucks, you went to a church that offered you Christianity for people who didn't like Christ. <clears throat> so, uh, I'm not trying to beat you up. <laughs> I love you. I really do. <clears throat> but it, this is the best way I can think about to illustrate what Jesus said to this woman. Okay? Because some of you walked into a church and they said, you're a sinner. And they had a religious attitude about it. And they had pride in their heart. And instead of saying... I don't condemn you, go and sin no more. They just said, go and sin no more. And they only showed you one side of Christianity, which was the, you got to be holy, you got to be right, you got to, and they never told you that Jesus loves you enough to live with you and help you live a pure, holy, and righteous life. They forgot the first half of the statement. And then the, the flip side is that I see other people who will go to churches and, and they get the, hey, we don't condemn you part, but they never mention go and sin no more. And so Jesus is all love and fairy tales, right? But they never give you the holiness and righteousness part that God is actually trying to get you to work towards, right? <clears throat> when Jesus, it, biblically, if you go and you look up how many times Jesus is called Savior, he is almost always first called Lord. Throughout the Bible, we see this. It is, I don't condemn you. I love you more than you can imagine. But go and sin no more. I'm going to help you with that. Jesus said things like, the Holy Spirit's going to come because he died, and he's going to take up residence in our heart. He's going to remind us and convict us of truth. So conviction does not equal condemnation. Okay? Let me explain this to you. Condemnation is what these religious men did to the woman when they threw her down in front of everybody and said she's worthy of death. That would turn anybody off. Nobody wants to hang out with that, with that crowd. Conviction, on the other hand, is what Jesus did. I'm going to protect you. In fact, I'm going to pay for your sin. I'm going to help you go and sin no more. Conviction draws you closer 
to the Lord, while condemnation will push you further away. Condemnation will fill you full of shame and regret, and condemnation will push you further and further. It will make you feel unworthy. And conviction, on the other hand, helps you to recognize the darkness. You, you acknowledge the darkness, but you fall in love with the light, with Jesus, who is sitting there at the same time going, that was wrong, but I love you. Come follow me and let's do better next time. That's Jesus. Christianity's not Starbucks. Christianity includes Christ and it's all of him. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's the message we see over and over and over again scripturally. Tonight, some of you guys need to make a decision to follow Jesus, the real Jesus. Not the half Jesus, half truth that you might have been given before. Maybe some of you, you're like, man, I've heard this before, but I've kind of turned away from the truth. I love that Jesus loves me. It's hard to live for him. Fall in love with Jesus, and it becomes easier. You're surrounded by people who deal with the same struggles day in and day out. I'm here to tell you tonight that if that's you, if you're in that place, welcome home. You can join us on the journey.